Well, good morning, everybody. Well, we're not going to get some Tupperware and uh, surprise you from behind and get you baptized today, but the same question that the patron saint of Mexico, Nacho Libre, said, why have you not been baptized? We're going to unpack that a little bit as we jump back into a series going through one of the greatest letters ever written, one of the 27 books of the New Testament, one of the 16 books that the Apostle Paul wrote, one of the letters, 16 letters that he wrote, and this one is to the church at Rome, the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to jump in today. Uh, before we get into today's conversation, I want to just set the tone. Like I said, we don't want to sneak up on you, uh, so I'm going to let you know where we're headed. Um, I'm going to unpack something that is maybe very familiar to those that have been in church at any amount of time, and that's water baptism. But something that can be so familiar, sometimes we can miss out, misunderstand, miscomprehend the beauty of it, the importance of it, um, the nature of it, and, and why it is a very important step in the life of a believer. And by the end of today's message, we're going to give not only the several, almost 10 water baptism candidates that have already signed up for water baptism, but at the end of today's message, if God is laying it on your heart, if you've never invited him to be the Lord and Savior, you're going to get that opportunity today, and we're going to invite you. We have all the tools, all the clothes, all the stuff that you need to be water baptized today. Also, if you're here and maybe you were baptized as a, as a kid or a baby, honestly, you kind of went through the motions and you didn't even understand it or it wasn't even really your decision. It was just something you did, your family did. But understanding it more today, you wanna make that decision, we're gonna give you that opportunity. 10 people in a first service spontaneously made that decision and I believe there are even more in this service and in our other services. So to get there, let's rewind a little bit. Back to the very beginning of the whole reason, the foundation message of what Romans is all about. The book of Romans, Paul has given us the foundational message and it is the gospel. Everybody say gospel. Everybody say good news. Come on, one more time. Knack, Lufkin, Dybal, Duncan, Iglesia, Groves, anybody else online, good news, ready? Good news, it is good news. Way beyond, you saved a bunch of money by switching to this insurance or that insurance. It's great news, and here's what the gospel really is. Here's what the good news is. Paul explains it in Romans chapter one. He says the gospel, in a nutshell, is a promise. And it's not a promise from a, uh, from a slick uncle. It's not a promise from a senator. It's not a promise from the government. It's a promise from a person, and not just any person, not just your good grandma. It is a promise from someone who is truly God and truly man. His name is Jesus. And he is alive and all-powerful. He did not just die. He did not stay dead. He rose again and is still alive. And it's what separates him from all the other stories of these uh, prophets or, or gods. He is alive. Many times what has to happen in religion is you have to pay the price to deserve to be in front of God, but God had his own son pay the price for you to be able to be in front of God. That's the good news. A promise of a person who's alive and all-powerful who offers you grace and identity. If we were ever living in a day and age where grace can be hard to receive from people these days, 
We get more quickly canceled, more quickly condemned, more quickly con judged, then we're offering grace to people. And if ever there, ever there was a time where identity is an issue in people's lives, it's today. And his promise is grace and identity for anyone who believes. And if you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm gonna show you what that begins to look like and your next steps to make that a reality in your life. So this is, the, this is the whole idea of the book of Romans, and Paul is gonna divide it into five different movements, five pillars, and we've been through the first two, and today we start the third part, the third movement. The first was sin, and that's the bad news. We all are born into a sin nature. Here's what sin is. Sin isn't the act I commit, it's the authority I reject. Sin is basically my way over God's way in any way. When you say, yeah, God, I know you said it to do it this way, but I've got my own theories on life. I've got my own way. I, it just doesn't make sense to me. Or how could a good God even expect that from me? I'm going to live my own life any way over God's way is the wrong way. And it's sin. And so the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter one all the way through half of chapter three talks about sin. Then we get to the good news. The good news is salvation. And that's how do I really become a child of God? I don't have to be left isolated as an orphan, orphaned by the destruction of sin, but I get to be adopted into God's family by what Jesus has done and become a child, a son or a daughter of the king. That's what salvation is all about today. We start this third movement and it's sanctification. Everybody everywhere say sanctification. It's not a word you kind of, you know, have normally in your vocabulary through, uh, well, hey, just by the way, you know, <laughs> sanctification, and then you post your tweet. Like, it's just not one of those normal words. It's a churchy, gospel, bible word. So let me break it down for you. It's not in your fill in the blanks, but you can jot some of these ideas down. Basically, sanctification is a part of our salvation experience. Salvation can be, can be understood in three different parts. It's not something you earn. It's something you receive. It's not about what you could do. It's about what Jesus has already done. That's how you are saved, okay? The first part is justification. Justification is just as if I had never sinned, you are saved from the penalty of sin. Instead of the gavel coming down and condemning you to eternal separation from God because of you choosing your way over God's way in any way, because of what Jesus has done and the perfect life he lived, he places that on you. You're covered by his rightness instead of your own rightness or your own righteousness, and you are justified by faith in what he has done. A third part of your salvation is the glorification, which you are saved from the very presence of sin. So you get saved from the penalty of sin. You get saved from the very presence. That hasn't happened yet. That's when you're face to face with God in heaven. Sin doesn't enter into heaven. It cannot be in the presence of God. And someday we're gonna be glorified and be in eternity with him. In the meantime, you've got this middle part, and that's what we call sanctification. Sanctification is a process, and it's daily being saved from the power of sin. Back in the 1860s, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed emancipation. He declared the Emancipation Proclamation, and in that moment in America, slavery was over. At least it was proclaimed. 
But there were many people not only refusing to believe that and acknowledge it and act on it, but there were those under that same kind of tyranny that even though they were proclaimed free, they didn't experience freedom. You know, Jesus has set you free from the power of sin when you invite him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. But just because he's invited you to walk in freedom, sometimes we just let the flesh get in the way and it become a powerful battle between what we know we should do and what we do. Anybody ever been there? Even the Apostle Paul who wrote these words also struggled. I don't do what I know to do. I do what I shouldn't do. That's your experience. It's my experience. It's humanity's experience. And so sanctification really comes down to how do I daily live out this Christian life? What are the ABCs of following? Like how, what, and where do I start? Where do you start? Well, that's as we pick up season two of When in Rome, that's where we start in Romans chapter six. He's gonna show us where to start the faith-filled following Jesus life. Romans six, verses, verse one, here's how he starts. And I'm gonna be reading from the paraphrase version from the Message Bible. Love how it lays out the clarity of these next steps. Number one, so what do we do, Paul says? What do we do? And he's gonna give us some steps to take. Now, what do you do if, uh, let's say, your clothes caught on fire? Well, if you were, uh, you know, any time when you were young, you learned the three steps to do. If your clothes, you know, catches on fire, you know, I know, stop, drop, and take a selfie. Of course, yeah. No, you stop, drop, and roll. What do we do? What do you do if there's an emergency? Stop and call 911. I heard a comedian recently say uh, he was starting a new emergency hotline. It was 9-1. And he said, our slogan is, you can't help call, but call us first. <laughs> you know, anyway, sorry. <laughs> so what do we do? You call 911 if there's an issue. Well, what do you do when it comes to living for Jesus? You gotta know it, you believe it, and you gotta act on it. When it, the reality is the challenge has been that many times we have tried in church and in Christianity to just act on stuff, to change our behavior, behavior modification, stop doing this, start doing that. And what can happen is we just try to act and in our own action, biting our bottom lip, picking ourselves up by the proverbial bootstraps, we just don't have all that it takes to keep acting and acting and acting without changing the way we believe and what we stand on is the foundation for everything. So it starts with knowing the right thing, knowing you've been proclaimed free, believing you're free, and acting free. Last week, we heard an incredible three for 30, three speakers, 10 minutes apiece, on how the Israelites, they were freed from the bondage of Egypt, but they weren't believing they were really free. They didn't really know they were free. They weren't believing it, they weren't acting on it. But if you can back up from your behavior modification and you can start to think, I'm free from this bondage of sin, and you can feel that, then that begins to, uh, that begins to shift the way you act. Be transformed, not by the way you act, be transformed by changing the way you think. And what you know and believe determines how you truly act. So what do we do? Paul says, should we just keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not, he says. Duh, he says. 
That's in a different translation somewhere. He says, of course we shouldn't do that. I mean, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, sin is in charge, how can we still live in our old house there? God has invited you to move out of that old house, move across the line and find your citizenship in a different country, a country that will never burn up, a country that will be eternal. It's a citizen of heaven is what God has invited you into. Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good. When you invite Jesus to be the center of your life, that's what you're doing. You're packing your bags and you're moving out from that old life. And so that creates some tension in some of us because if nothing has changed in my life, I really have to ask if Jesus is in my life. If nothing's changed, I really have to ask, have I truly known it, believed it, and acted on it? Now, this is what Paul goes on to say. Now, this is what happened in baptism. Baptism, the word actually meaning immersion. That's what the word means, immersion, to go underwater. This is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left behind the old country of sin. When we came up out of the water, we entered a new country of grace, a new life, and a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. It is not about being baptized into a denomination. It is not being baptized into a certain uh, set of rules and regulations. It is simply old life is gone, a new life where Jesus is sovereign and king. That's what I am declaring through this act. When we are lowered into the water, it is, the, it is like the burial of Jesus. And when we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. And I love what Paul says next. He says, could it be any clearer? Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you, do, do you smell what I'm stepping in? Can you smell what the apostle is cooking? I know, right? I know. So our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end. You know what decide means? I've said it before. Like pesticide, it kills pests. Like homicide, it kills humans. Decide kills your options. To decide to follow Jesus, you're killing your options. I, I'm not gonna follow anything else. He's the king, he's the Lord. I get my marching orders from him. You don't have to be held captive into that sin, miserable life, no longer captive to sin's demands. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. You ever tried to, as a kid, reach those monkey bars? Some of you, you had no problem and it ticks me off. For me, I remember trying to get that basketball into that hoop just could, didn't have the muscles or tried to reach, tried to jump and reach. I mean, I don't know how many girls can relate to this, but I know 99.9% .9 of any boys in this room or our rooms know there was a time in our life where like it was just mandatory. Every room you walked in, you had to try and jump and touch the ceiling. 
You just had to. You had to jump and touch the top of the door. You had to jump and touch the top of the ceiling. Had to see where you are. My son is in this thing where now, every time I walk into the room, his first thing is he runs up to me, just picks me up just to show how strong he is. I don't even know. He's also on this little kick's like, Dad, you ready? I think I'm ready. I think I can take you now. I was like, okay, you get one chance. When you're ready, go for it. When you're ready, go for it. But just know, I ain't gonna hold back. Just know, so when you're ready, okay. Like never again will death have the last word. He brings God down to us. You don't have to try to keep reaching for the ceiling, reaching for the hope, reaching for the forgiveness. He brought it down to you. From now on, think of it this way. See how clear this is? From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. When you follow Christ, wah, 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 that's what, that's the sin language, death speaking over you. You don't listen to that anymore. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. Now that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Just because you've been free, you can still choose to not be free. J just because just because he's spoken it, you can still listen to the other language of your culture, the language of those, the, even your own language that you say over yourself in the mirror. That means that no longer you have held captive to those words, but you are listening to the words of Jesus alive and well in your life. Don't give sin the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Some of you still looking up the profile of the ex-girlfriend. Uh-uh, that's the old way of life. Some of you driving by the bar, just wondering if your friends are still there, seeing if you, see their, seeing if you can see their cars, wondering what it'd be like. Maybe, I'm, maybe, I've gotten enough, maybe I've gotten enough willpower now I can just pull in and just have a conversation. Some of you, 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 you got you, you to get a new friend group because you just like, you're running little errands that are connected to the other stuff. You got to throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time into God's way of doing things. Sin can't let you tell you how to live. Sin can't tell you that. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. You're living in the freedom of God, he says, could it be any clearer? Could it be any clearer? And I don't think it could be. But just to help you today, I wanna give you some simple, beautiful pieces of baptism. I wanna help you get some handlebars on the beauty of baptism. And maybe you've never been baptized. Or maybe you were a kid, or maybe, you know what, you were an adult and you made the decision, but you've drifted. You've drifted. You don't have to be rebaptized to be right with God, but you can be rebaptized if you want to start fresh today, just as a symbol. So I'm going to give you five different things about baptism. Number one, write them down. Baptism is a physical symbol of a spiritual change. It isn't the change, it's just a physical symbol of a change that's already happened. Even though Carrie Underwood makes an incredible singer, she's a terrible theologian. Because when she says, there must be something in the water, except a lot better than that. 
There ain't nothing in the water. Ain't nothing in the water except you and the person dunking you. That's it. It's just water. That's all. But it's more recognizing. It's a physical symbol of something that's already changed in your life. The truth is this. If we've claimed to know him, but we live nothing like him, I don't know if we really know him. And so, so um, you're gonna ex- you, you might think, oh, I'm gonna get baptized and I'm gonna experience something. No, you've experienced something. And so then you're baptized. You've made the decision and then you follow through. You don't get married to fall in love with your spouse. You experience respect and relationship and intimacy and you choose to follow God and honor God through marriage. And marriage is a physical symbol of a biblical covenant. That's what it is. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of something that is very important biblically, has nothing to do with what government says about or how even government defines it. Marriage is about two becoming one. This is why marriage is so important. So I know in a crowd this size, in a room this size, and in a church anyone can come to, there, there are some couples that you're living together acting as though you're married, but you've not gotten married. And, and I want you to know, this is a safe place for you to be a part of Timber Creek Church. But I also want you to know that it, it's not just something we kind of try out or we do or say we'll get around with it or we gotta deal with this. Like doing things God's way is the right way and any way that's not God's way and it's my way can separate us from the full plan of God. So I wanna invite you that that physical expression of a ring and the physical expression of, of being married publicly with, with people There's something important about that. That's what we're also saying when we're baptized. It's a physical symbol of an intimate relationship that we started with Jesus, and we're committed to that relationship. Number two, baptism is a physical picture of a spiritual bath. It's a physical picture of a spiritual bath. You know what's crazy? You and I are usually the last people to know that we stink. It's amazing. Other people know faster than you. Everybody knows you have bad breath, except you. (laughs) Like, thou shalt never refuse a breath mint. Take it in the name of everybody around you that loves you. Like, but we don't know. That's why the 12-year-old's like, yeah, I don't know. You need to take a bath, buddy. I don't need, I'm fine. I took one three days ago. No, no, you need to take a bath. Go. And here's what I don't think is fair. Like, Janet, at any time in our marriage, could easily say, "Woo, you stink. And I'd be like, oh, sorry, okay. But if I went to her and I said, ugh, you stink. Full confession, on our third date, we went and we threw the ball together. Went out to Getzendaner Park. We threw the ball together, hung out, had fun. When I took her back home, gave her a hug, told her goodbye, when gave her a hug, I thought three dates meant we were super like totally close. And I went, ooh, kind of worked up a little steak. And I said it. In like, I wasn't, we weren't, I don't know if we were in love yet or not. I was in love. I was in love. I said, oh, you, you kind of stink. And she went, okay, we'll see you later. 
She walked in. This was when, and kids, we used to have like, you know, cell phones, but they were, had a cord and they were connected to the wall. They were called telephones. I could kind of sense a little bit of the atmosphere was changing in our relationship in that moment. And so when I went back to my dorm room, I waited for a minute, then I called her up and her dorm uh, partner uh, picked up the phone. Her name was Amy and, and she's like, hello. I said, hey, can I talk to Janet? I don't know if she wants to talk to you right now. She seems a little upset. I was like, oh, okay, okay. I hung up, waited a few minutes, called her back. I said, can I please just, just, just get, put her on the phone? Hello? I said, hey, are, are, are we good? Did I do thing? I don't know, maybe you told me I straight up stank. Am I lying? It was it. And the truth was, I just, I didn't realize what beauty really smelled like. To be honest with you, I just had never, I had never experienced what glistening was all about until that moment. And I promise you, I have never said, no, I can't say that. Now she runs on these long runs and comes home. Oh my gosh. She came home one time after a 17 mile run, she smelled like the back end of a taco truck. And what I mean by that is salty and asphalt. I don't even know how you do that. I didn't realize this was gonna be the last time I ever preached. Um, you ever go a little too far? Probably I just did moving on. Listen, listen. This isn't just like a, a funny thing. The truth is we think we're a lot cleaner than we really are. Jesus spent time with unclean people. And until you can realize just the depth of your inability to wash yourself, you won't understand the beauty of baptism. It's a spiritual bath where Jesus cleanses you a way that you could not cleanse yourself. Number three, baptism's a funeral service for sin's power over me. You know, next time you go to a funeral, you could ask this question of the person in the casket or at least the physical representation of that person in the casket. You could ask this, I wonder what they're worried about. Can I tell you? Nothing, nothing. I wonder what they're afraid of right now. Well, beyond, eternal, beyond what eternity is like for them, I can tell you that that's not even an issue anymore. Um, when, we, when we're baptized, it's a funeral service to that old way of living. I'm not who I was back then. And, and I'm not going to live in a way where I'm worried all the time. We have one foot in the citizenship of having faith in Jesus and trusting him and having faith in him, but how often do we put the other foot in counterfeit faith? You know what counterfeit faith is? Faith, believing in what you can't see. But do you know what worry is? Believing in what you can't see. Faith is believing in God. Faith is believing, fear, fear is believing everything that's gonna go wrong. Worry, it's faith in, in what you think might happen that's out of God's control. Faith is saying God is in control, no matter what happens. We have to have a funeral service for that old way of living. Truth is, you're gonna try and try and try and you won't ever try enough to really be good. You know who the good moms are? 
You know the good moms are in the room and around the world? Good moms are usually the ones that are saying, ugh, I'm not good enough. I need to be better. Because they recognize as hard as they try, they don't have all that it takes. And so they, because they're trying, they realize just how hard it is to be perfect. Do you know the moms that uh, are probably the bad moms? Uh-oh. Probably the ones walking around saying they're good. <laughs> because they probably haven't really tried. It's the moms like, I got it all together. <laughs> Hold on, let me take a snapshot of my coffee and my Bible. Devotion. Post it. The harder I try to be good, the more I realize I'm bad. And that's the beauty of baptism. It's not about you being good, it's about the goodness of God. That you get to get buried with all that trying and working and you engage what God has done, Jesus has done for you. You can write it down like this, it's not about trying, it's really about dying. But not only is baptism a funeral service, it's also a celebration service for God's favor over you. Jesus himself, how arrogant of us to think that baptism, I don't really need to do all that. Jesus himself, as he's walking into ministry, before he ever healed the sick, raised the dead, opened blind eyes, he goes down and he is water baptized by his relative John the Baptist. And as he is coming out of that water, the sky splits open and a voice is heard and the voice says, this is my son, I love him. I'm pleased with him. He had not healed anybody yet, and yet the father said, I'm pleased with him. I love him. He's mine. And when we are baptized, it is a celebration that that God says the same of you too. You're his, and he loves you. It's identity, it's value, it's purpose. Number five, baptism is my first step of obedience new way of life. It's not my only step, but it is a first step. And you know, in the first service, I got to talk with one of my friends that was on the front row and they said, you know, I've been serving Jesus for like six years, but I knew I had been missing something. And so today I'm just trying to get it, I'm just trying to get it in, in order. You know, I've said it before, but have you ever seen a vending machine that's got a, a sign on it and it says out of order, right? Out of order, here's what it means. It doesn't mean that, well, uh, touch the button, then put in the quarter, then shake it, then you'll get it because you gotta do things in the right order. Out of order simply means this machine is what? Broken, broken. And the truth is this, no matter how hard you try, if you get life out of order, you live life broken. When you live life out of order, so Jesus makes it abundantly clear, seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things can be added. And I think of bottom of the ninth, the championship baseball game, the, the, the home team is up and they're down by two and there's a runner on third and franchise player is up to bat and the pitcher is shaking off a couple of the different options until finally he locks into the first pitch because he's going to have to close this thing out. But franchise player has been making the bajillion dollars for moments like this. First pitch, outside and to the left. 
out, 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 outside and just, just barely out of reach. Franchise player knows it's not the right one. There's not a lot more waiting because the very next pitch. Franchise players, he's got the number. Pitcher rears back, brings him the heat right down the middle on a string, and it's just the perfect. For franchise player, it, this is child's play. And I mean, it sounds like a bullet in a parking garage. The wood smacks the leather, almost rips the seams off, and that ball is gone to the corner of right field and lands just short of the fence and bounces up against the backstop of the fence and, and gets a little bit, has an awkward, lucky bounce, and the right fielder has to chase it down for a second, and it's just enough time for third, third base uh, to be able to run home. Now they're only down by one, and by the time right fielder gets to the ball franchise player, he is speedy. He is already rounding second on his way to third. The, guy, the, the right fielder hurls it like a bullet to the, to, to the cutoff man, and second base turns around and already franchise player is on his way home and it's gonna be a photo finish. Second base, every, everybody's like slow motion. All the, all the guys, the older men with their shirts off, their bellies, they're holding each other. Yeah. Franchise player goes into his head first slide. And you can see him maneuver just enough to let his fingers slide through the dirt across the edge of home plate. And the catcher misses him. And the game's gonna be tied. And who knows what's gonna happen, but before they can even shout with excitement. The umpire says, you're out. Things pick up back into real speed. And it's pandemonium. The dugout is up out of the, off the bench. What do you mean? And, and the franchise player's up in the face of the umpire. No, he never touched me. And the umpire says, you, you never touched first. You didn't touch first base. You can run your whole life sliding into home, thinking you're all good, making all the money, having all the cheers. But if you don't touch first, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And the Bible is clear. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, First isn't going to church. First isn't reading your Bible. First isn't praying, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. First is, get baptized. It's first. Now, before we shift gears and crank up a worship service and celebration, let me just say, for those of you that are being baptized today and those of you that are wrestling right now, if I should, if 
I should be baptized today. For the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, because this is going to be a symbolic day for you. Let me just tell you that after you towel off, here's what you can expect. After you towel off after the baptism, here's what you can expect. You're gonna face temptation. Jesus, when he's baptized and God says, that's my boy, I love him, I'm pleased with him. You know what happens? He goes into the wilderness for 40 days and he's tempted by the devil. Whenever there's a great victory in your life, just know the enemy's gonna come in like a flood. So you will face temptation. You'll face temptation. But you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your life. Don't give sin a vote. And this is like a birthing moment for some or a rebirthing moment for some. And do you know on the day that the church was birthed in the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, after those that were on the street heard the word of the Lord in their own language and they were cut to the heart and they wanted to be, they wanted to follow, Peter said, repent and be baptized. And that day, 3,000 people spontaneously said, that's me, that's me, I need to be baptized. Why haven't I, do you know they had already been baptized? Just, just know this, if you were going to the, te the temple, to the synagogue, in order to be right with God, you would go into a baptism pool to go into the temple so that you could be clean to be able to worship and offer your sacrifices. They've excavated, there are dozens of baptism pools in front of the temple steps. I've been there, seen them. So this wouldn't have been the first time, but because they knew this was the time that changed everything, they were baptized. And do you know what the very next scripture, after they repented and were baptized, scripture says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So after you towel off, just know, this is what we're devoting ourselves to. Devote yourself, I need to devote myself to God's plan through his word, reading. Some of you, you're not consistent in Bible reading, many of us, most of us, let's call it like it is. You know, I know, we're not consistent like we need to be reading our Bibles. It's a, it's, it's, it is a pandemic spiritual pandemic. And what can happen is, because you can't read for 15 minutes, you read for zero minutes. Start with a scripture. Start with one scripture. Start somewhere. After the first step, devote yourself to his plan through his word. God, what do you want for my life? Start reading his word. Some of you, 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 you don't need to hear his voice, you need a verse. You don't need his voice, you need his verse, because that is his voice to you. Devote yourself to God's provision through his people. They, they, they fellowship, they broke bread together. You cannot do life alone, you shouldn't do, and we won't do life alone. It's not just a Timber Creek value. It's like a new church, birth church value. We need each other. Iron sharpens iron, love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, support one another, carry one another's burdens like you. If you think that, well, I guess you got my KSWP. I just got my Christian radio. I love Christian radio, that's great. We'll crank it up. I don't know if I love it, I, I, I endure it sometimes. But I can tell you this, it's way more than just Christian radio. You need people in your life. You need people in your life. God's provision through his people. And third, it's God's presence through prayer. Tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., 6 p.m. If you can't join us in person, you can watch online at timbercreechurch.com. Devote yourself to God's presence through prayer. I am anticipating God is gonna do, God is getting ready to unfold, unwrap 
unroll something. I just, I'm, I'm expecting that. I'm inviting you to have that same anticipation. So I leave you with these two questions before we step back into praise and worship and before we celebrate baptism together. The two questions are this, what do I need to do? If your heart is stirring and you're saying, I think I need to be baptized. Well, the first step is to know that we are sinners. We're separated from God, but God had a promise of a person who was perfect that took your place. He's still alive and he's still working and he will give you grace and identity to anyone in this room and all of our rooms of anyone who wants to believe he is who he says he is. That's step one. So right now, in this moment, let's take that step. Jesus, there are people in our rooms that they need to either commit for the first time or for the first time in a long time to let you be the center of their lives. And so friends, in your own words, I can't pray it for you, but in your own words, with your heart, know that he loves you. Know that you can't be a citizen of sin country and grace country. It's time to cross the border. It's time to take up residence under his sovereign rule. If that's you, you just say, Jesus, thank you for meeting me here today. Thank you for not being mad at me, but giving this moment to make things right with you. I believe you are who you say you are. Would you forgive me of my sin and give me a fresh start today? In Jesus' name.